Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Cyber Insanity with Andrew Bracuda and Angelo Longo, your hosts for this uh, captive hour. So, um, first of all, we uh, we appreciate bringing this content to you. We would love to hear if there's something specific you'd love to hear about or maybe understand a little better in the security space. Anything cybersecurity is on the table. We have, if not ourselves, we have guest uh, experts that we invite periodically. So we're always up for suggestions, comments, and and uh, compliments. Um, that said, please like and subscribe. Uh, that uh, gives us the impetus to keep going on and, and uh, providing this type of content. And it allows us to know that this is meaningful to you. <clears throat> that said, Angelo. Are you a mystery reader or a mystery uh, watcher on TV? I would say bo- a little of both. Have you seen Angela uh, Angela Lansbury or Agatha Christie? More more like it. She wrote and uh, an, an Angela Lansbury's uh, uh, series, but there's one from David Suchet who was uh, portraying the Belgian Poirot. detective Poirot, Hercule Poirot. Poirot. Boy, I'll get it. Um, and he's very interesting. He's very, yes, very methodical, very meticulous, very detail oriented. And the thing that just kind of hit me between the head was one of his favorite sayings that he always goes back to, um, it, it goes back to order and method, order and method. So this is part two of our, our three part series, people, process, and technology. Last time we did people. Today, I want to focus on process with you, Angelo, because I think this is just as important in many respects to making sure your people know what to do and what to follow prescriptively. Mm -hmm. So if we can put on our our Hercule Poirot outfits and and twirl our mustaches, um, we can um, we can we can look at this and and go. Well, there's some parallels between order and method and um, more of a framework and the the process and method that that you would that you would take to put those frameworks into play. Um, does that make sense? It does. It does. So if I was doing this for a company for say, yeah. um, you know, the, the very first thing we need to establish is what is appropriate. You know, what do you do? What, what industry do you operate in? What details do you take in? Um, give us some examples. Let, let, give, give us some examples of industry verticals and what would typically be a, um, appropriate for those industries. So, like, uh, let's let's start with something for innocuous uh, hotel retail. You okay. probably take in a lot of PCI data. Process credit cards. You may get transactions over the phone. You may get things like um, people's uh, personal information for both conferences and or bookings and or you know transactions that occur during the time they may be at a location. Right. PCI is is a industry kind of regular. I don't want to say regulation standard. It is it is a standard that the the payment card industry put into place to establish that this is where you need, these are the minimum values you need to make to basically do these things. And so when you take that industry and you compare it to say a hospital, a doctor's office, okay. um, 
you're changing some of the data that you may interact with, some of that identifiable data. And it, and so when you look at that, you look at um, HIPAA or high trust, where you're looking at how you deal with data that are on that healthcare piece. But you have overlaps between all of them. GLBA. GLBA is mostly financial, but you still have overlaps. Uh, a Let's say a, um, a hospital. It takes credit cards. So there's sure. a PCI thing. It has HIPAA. It has, it has a, then it has GLBA requirements because it's taking in data from multiple sources and, and storing and, and maintaining. So they have multiple different issues they need to take into, take into account. When you look at it from the perspective of which, you know, which product or which, which standard is the best, you may actually have to abide by more than one. And one of the reasons for that is when you take payment cards, you are operating under the standard that you are meeting the minimum payment card in industry standard. So therefore, the, the method and the order that you, you operate under has to be akin to that so that you can continue taking credit cards. Conversely, yep. high trust, HIPAA, similar. So. so so let's let's kind of peel back a little bit that onion of, of um, that order and method. And let's separate those for just a second. So when we talk about order, we're looking at frameworks. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe uh, from an industry perspective, like payment card industry puts PCI out, or maybe there's there's uh, ones from government bodies uh, that or agencies that that put out this type of of uh, stain, uh, standard or framework that they say you need to abide by. But what? But are they? They're not there to make our lives difficult. I mean, they're really guidelines, right? They're guidelines right. in saying, if you do this, in, in some cases, they're prescriptive. In some cases, they're a little more interpretive. But um, but if we look at it from a guideline perspective, mm-hmm. um, they they tend to focus on when you start overlapping, like you suggested uh, in, in a hospital. Let's pick on a hospital, for example, that you said PCI, HIPAA, mm-hmm. GLBA, for example. They all have areas of expertise for their respective focus areas, but they also, those overlap areas have some commonality, do they not? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, let's, let's come down to the standard of what we're operating under. I mean, okay. you, you, you first, you have the commonality of secure. I mean, the, the focus of these is security is okay. the operational cyber security. And that comes down to a standard of three different things, you know, um, you, you're going to say people process the technology, which is dead on, but there are cybersecurity standards, which are confidentiality, integrity, and availability. Those three things, when you start overlapping them over the data that you take, process, and operate with, that's when these standards become important. How you secure the confidentiality of data, how you verify the integrity of the data, and how you make sure that data is available for everybody who needs it. So, for instance, you walk into a, uh, you're a doctor, you walk into an operating room, you're handed a chart, and it's for Bob Smith, and you are operating on his right knee, and that right knee has this, this, and this. Well, you want to be very sure that it is Bob Smith, that Bob Smith has a right knee injury, and you're doing the right thing. How there has been horror stories of people getting the wrong thing worked on or amputated or whatever you know these these horror stories 
generally can can be and, and, and again this is nth degree stuff here i'm talking about but that comes down to the right data available to the right person so multiple things happen there it wasn't bob smith so okay. this doctor didn't need to know about this person right question so that's a leak of data of bob smith's data secondarily mm-hmm. uh, because he's not supposed to know about bob smith so it's not he's not the doctor secondarily the, the leg was improper. So the integrity of the data is in question. And then the right data was not made available to the doctor. Wow. All those things are very important. But when you get down to it, how do you do that in an industry? How do you do that operationally? How do you make sure that's, that's where these standards come in? Payment card data. What? How much data do you need? What What are you processing? Well, how are you processing it? And why are you processing it? Are the endpoints, are, are the the processing location secure, isolated, et cetera. Can you can you uh, can you verify and attest to that? GLBA is similar, and but it's taking up high level stuff. But these don't end this, the conversation. These are just big industry standards and regular regular laws that apply to these things. Well, I think I think you make you make a very valid point, right? And I think you're touching on something that I wanted to 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 bring up, which is well, first of all, <clears throat> to your point. Um, you know the 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 frameworks are there to provide manageable steps and settings and checks and those types of things like in our in our analogy of the surgeon going into to work on Bob Smith today if you go in a hospital for a surgical procedure they have to come in there they have to look at your chart they have to look at your band which they pre they pre certify you as yes your photo ID matches who you are yep. they confirm with you before they anesthetize you with what procedure you're there for um, they are also in some case, in many cases now hospitals have them take like a Sharpie mark the knee. In this case, if Bob's getting a right knee replacement, mark the knee with a circle, initial it. And then, and then they go into the pre-op, uh, preparation where the head nurse, the surgical nurse goes in, confirms another step and saying, yep, I see the doctor knows this. Bob Smith was verified. This person is having this, this limb, uh, worked on or whatever the surgical procedure. And here X marks the spot, right? And then of course, they're the only patient in that room in the pre-op. They're they're being prepped. They get anesthetized, at which case the head nurse or somebody under her uh, his or her um, uh, view removes that black ink of of that the doctor just circled and initialed, and then they proceed with the with the with the process of of help uh, helping the uh, the patient. This is no different in in frameworks though. Uh, there's lots of checks. There's lots of procedures. Sometimes they seem re- redundant or rephrased of the same thing. But um, all that to say, these are just minimal standards of acceptance. That doesn't mean that you're secure, though, does it? No, no. I mean, even the minimal standards. Let's take, um, you know, famous breaches. Target. Everybody likes to bring that up. Target was secure and and was verified under PCI standards. It wasn't a PCI-esque breach. It was a... It was a compromise of an internal resource that they didn't know was internal, that they didn't know could be used to leverage other access. And technically, in the end, they were guilty of a PCI breach. But the the end, the end result is they were PCI compliant, right? And they got breached. the the, the result and effect is 
just achieving a standard does not mean you're achieving anything. It comes down to how you operate, what you do, how you maintain that standard, and how you continuously review and understand what is going on in your organization. Because it is not a yeah. flash in, 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 in time. It is a continuous monitoring I use it, a continuous uh, CDM, continuous uh, the continuous monitoring effort uh, government put to, into place when they realize that things need to be monitored all the time and, and they put functionality like that in place at the government level, the federal government level in the U.S. So, And that's, and that's important because, you know, it, it's great to have a framework. It, it points you in the right direction, but it doesn't get you to the destination, right? You're I mean, never really there, to speak clear. It's like that right. 50% there's, rule. There's, there's, <laughs> customized things for your environment. Let's say, for example, if I'm a, um, if I'm a ma- uh, manufacturer or, or from, let's say a utility company, there, there may be some payment card industry type of requirements. Cause I'm, I have, yep. uh, uh, my, my people that I serve in my, in my community that, uh, pay by credit card. There may be some privacy type of things from a business like a GLBA type stuff. Um, certainly not going to be HIPAA because they're they're just a utility company. But what they do have is more industry, uh, like industrial controls that go under things like SCADA, for example. And then that plethora of, of type of oversight. Um, and today we're seeing a lot of um a lot of attack or probing attacks uh from foreign governments to determine um are these soft targets, are these sufficiently uh, squishy enough for me to disrupt the level of service that uh, um, in this country uh, people enjoy uh, without thinking, right? So it's a minimum, but you still have to do your due diligence and you still have to put a level of um, scrutiny care, <laughs> which really comes down. And, and it's not just, and it's just like you said, not one and done. It's, it's a, it's a reiterative process. It's ongoing. Right. So this kind of dovetails into method done because for me to do something in a sustained way, I better have some level of prescriptive mechanisms more uh, to understand the categorization, maybe some checks along the way or people to check me and some monitoring. Can we elaborate on that a little bit? I mean, Angela, you've built large programs. Um, how do you make it sustainable? How do you make it so I don't have to hire half a country and 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 buy all the tools on on the shelves? <laughs> well, it comes down to it comes down to stakeholder engagement. It comes down to people being involved in the process. You know, mm-hmm. when you walk into an organization, you you better have executive, you know, over uh, executive champion and or an executive. Um, sign off for the for what you're trying to do if you're not if not you're just creating paper for no apparent reason you're 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 just you're just there um thank you very little for you know but here you go here's a bunch of paper and you can give me money that doesn't make any sense because in the end I, that provides no security what provides security is the integration of process and procedure into the operations of an organization so when you look at how things flow how they get their data, how they process their data, how the data leaves the organization. How does it happen? Why does it happen? Is it important? Is is it necessary? You got to ask these questions. 
part of the part of establishing a standard, um, part of looking at how, how they operate is how you integrate into these standards. Because these standards are going to say you must secure and and know everything about the data that the data that flows through the organization. Because let's face it, in the end, most likely the data is the most important part. Identifying what that data is is generally the harder part because some people think their data, their important data is one thing where they're, you know, say they're a manufacturer mm-hmm. and they think their customer data is is the most important thing they have. And it may be of high importance. But what about your what about your operational um, instructions, your, you know, your manufacturing? You know, you're, you're supplying machines with data to, to create something. Unless it's just hardcore manual work, most likely it's computer controlled. Um, and if it is, then you want the computer to produce something in the way you intended it to be produced. If that's altered, if the integrity is in question, then the end product can be in question. I was reading about, uh, and I'm, I know I'm going a little bit tangential here, but I was reading about the um, when the space shuttle exploded. Right. And I was reading about how they how they call uh, the people who manufacture it called and said, this is going to happen. We can't, you know, you can't allow this to happen because the O-ring got brittle. And because it got brittle, it'll, it, it didn't function as an O-ring anymore. And right. it, was, it would allow vapor or whatever to escape. In the end is that they realized there was an issue with the product they produced and they were, and they, and they want to try to correct it. The system didn't work. The system fell apart because of outside pressures and everything to keep everything in line. Because you and I were sitting in front of a television waiting for uh, the the teacher to go into space. Right. They they had to keep everything on schedule because everything was expected of them, and and the system broke down and people lost their lives. This right. is an extreme example of this, but the manufacturer realized their product wasn't up to snuff. They realized that it was going to something was going to happen, and they were taking preemptive action to stop it. What didn't, and but the process failed them. The process failed a lot of different ways in that in that place. And this is where, when you go and look at your process, where's your O ring, and are you operating under the correct temperatures? Are you operate? Are you looking at the right chart? Because that's a, that's another thing that happened during that. They were they didn't look at the right chart. They look at where the failures happened. But they didn't look at, at what temperatures the failures occurred. They didn't look at when the most successes occurred. And the most successes occurred above 65 degrees Fahrenheit. And that's and it was below that. And that's what caused a lot of these issues. So when we look at this, we look at operations, we look at how things function. And, and please, if anybody's out there want, want to read it, go read a source that talks about the, the spatial explosion. Please do not. I'm paraphrasing greatly on this on this subject, so please do not take my word as gospel in this regard. But in the but, end, but that's a good point. Order and method. A little thing like an O-ring. It sometimes it's the small stuff yeah. that gets that gets uh, to be that leads us to a path of critical critical mass, if you will. Right. I mean, the, in, in the space shuttle case, it was the O-ring, right? And they're they're vilifying the manufacturer, although the manufacturer said, no, that's not going to perform under those temperatures. It's not meant to do that. And and by, by the way, the whole part of the whole selling part of the space shuttle program was this stuff is all recyclable. We can use yes. it over and over and over again. Well, if you do that, 
the straining points have to be replaced. They're wearable items, right? As, as you say. In our networks, though, there are some places that have, some people call them enclaves, right? These are the specialty cases. Yep. And, and our process is good. Um, and our processes are good to be able to say, okay, we're going to follow this 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 walkthrough, this prescriptive path, this workflow, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> we're following this thing through. But then there's an enclave, and and they make them eternal. <laughs> um, I, I know you're laughing because you probably have a few in mind in your in the back of your head because you sit there and you run into these things all the time. How do we approach uh, the the ideal client here? Let's let me let me sub just do a sidebar a little bit. The ideal client would be the environment is as uniform as possible that everybody fits into the same computer profile, uh, user profile, role profile, everything. Right, but but we live in real world. Or to right? just I want to amend that into an appropriate profile. Into an appropriate. Thank you. Into an appropriate profile, right? That's the ideal world. It doesn't exist. The real world is you're going to have bumps in the road. Maybe we have legacy equipment. Like there's there's shop floors that are running CAD programs that that talk to their talk to their water jets or whatever that are yep. Windows NT 4.0 or whatever. Oh yeah. Or XP. Or XP. Um, and they can't upgrade. There are so enclave for that. Um, there are users that um, maybe contractors or people that are somewhat one foot retired, maybe not, but but we need them back. Whatever the case may be, there's there's an enclave for that group of people, you know. Um, and then and then the roles and well, this person needs admin roles. Why? Oh, they're they're testing a piece of software. Can't we give them an equivalency? No, no, it has to be admin rights, enclave, right? But we never put an expiration date on it. We never, we never review it, and then it becomes that little O ring. Yep. How do you deal with an enclave? <laughs> so, part of what you do is okay. you you periodically audit you. And you put time limits. So this is you, you mentioned one of the things that you do. You put a time limit on it. Okay. You know, uh, there's new technologies out there called PAM, and, and uh, that help you know do and other identity management type things where you end up giving rights in question for a period of time, okay, rather than for all time. You can virtualize for testing, um, and create and create an enclave that is situationally external from the environment. Um, there's also different situations where certain environments need to be air gapped from the other environment where, and so they end up operating under standards, which are interesting. Um, you know, I came for the casino industry. The, the surveillance organization is generally air gapped from generally by regulation air gapped from the, the main network. So that all surveillance can be occur, and uh, what the issue with that is, how do they get updates, how do they maintain, right. what is the data flow? If I need to bring data into the in this to update, who checks it? How do I verify it's not, you know, not bad data, not going to cause an issue, a problem? And so these things, you know, these are you know, you're in, running an independent network. 
Does that mean there is no access to the independent network? These are some things you need to think about. I mean, just because you're running, you're independent from the main network doesn't mean there's not a um, a, nick, uh, a port sitting on the wall someplace for a camera that some nefarious person could plug into and then utilize that for whatever. Just throwing it out there. No, but, and, and 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 those and those types of um, those types of conditions, you know, air gapping is good for certain things, right? And mandatory, right? You mentioned the yeah. the the um, uh, the whole uh, industry, the gaming industry is, mm-hmm. you know, there's there's big guidelines for that, but there's also things for utility companies if they're uh, nuclear uh, capabilities. Uh, you know, there's certain environments that have to be air gapped. So right. that um, they're isolated from the external world or from the general population of their of their own users, mm-hmm. uh, you know, is CMMC. I mean, we can throw we can throw various different Department of Defense type requirements where, um, you know, uh, manufacturing floors have to be either air gapped or those machines yep. properly under the guidelines of making sure that you can't take the blueprints or the or the had programming and put it on a brand new machine and come out with the same part. Yeah. Right. I mean, um, so all of this, all of this thing really comes down to um, understanding how to really isolate it uh, appropriately without affecting. And here's the balance, right? So I can isolate it, but then I affect my users that have to make the part or make the, make the, the, uh, access to the records for the patient or whatever it is, mm-hmm. right? There's a balance. And how, how does one go through figuring out the balance, Angelo? <laughs> well, this, this is, this is, you know, a big a portion of what a CIS, CISO does is right. integrate into the business process. Okay. Any of these things are business process, uh, you know, whether it, it's, it, whether you're, Operating on somebody or taking credit card data, credit card data, or credit cards, it's a part of a process. It's a business process. In the end, that process needs to be evaluated in terms of its riskiness, okay. its reward, and and its ability to uh, be improved. You know, when you start looking at, oh well, I need the data for this patient, and I need it now. And you get the wrong data. So obviously that there's there's issues with that. You get the data and it's and it's exposed to other people who don't need to see it. There's another issue with that. You right. get the data in a way that you, it comes to you and it's stored improperly. There's an issue with that. There's a lot of different things you need to, to look at. And what is the actual, you know, yes, there security may add time and cycles to a process, but is the time and cycles as um, is the waste, or I shouldn't say wasted, but is the is the greater time in cycles um, worth more, given the risk reduction, than the the time that somebody may be, you know, utilizing, you know, that data for something else. Let's go to a doctor. A doctor is in an emergency room. They need a patient's data immediately because they're in an emergency situation, whatever that may be. They right. need to make a decision, but. As critical as getting that information is, you still need to get the right information. Right. It's not like you're in a in an ISOR where you're you're waiting, you know, everything's set up and everybody's ready. You're running around trying to triage a wound or something like that. 
Right. Now, you need to know how this, you know, this person came in. Are they sick? Are they going to affect other patients? Are they, you know, where, where were they exposed? Oh, there's a whole bunch of information they need all at once to, to react. And, I, and I'm not ignorant of that fact. But conversely, they don't get the right information. They don't learn that this person was exposed to some deadly disease or this person was, uh, you know, in a car accident where they were, God forbid, impaled or something, you know, something terrible. And and they don't have the right information. They may react in a, in a wrong manner, thus causing everything to all or, their or all allergy. their things to fall down. Yeah. Or an allergy, right? I mean, how many? Yeah, an allergy. Yeah, allergy another allergy. I didn't think about that. Sure. I mean, so so I think we got a good handle on the framework, and thank you for that. Um, the 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 methodology or the prescriptive work, I think, I think it points us in the right direction. But I think now, if I was um, if I was a CISO starting out with my first hundred days, right? The first question is going to be, what's the methodology, methodical, methodical, I'll say it right. Methodical. Methodology. <laughs> the, I was going to say methodology, but it's really the methodical approaches that are available to me to be able to push something through, right? So um, I've seen, uh, to start out with one, like a serial approach, right? Oh, well, we've got um, four... Four levels of of uh, of or four standards or or frameworks that we have to work through. Let's let's say it's a healthcare industry because they're one of the arguably most regulated industries out there, right? So mm-hmm. we're going to do our HIPAA first. We're going to do PCI second. We're going to do the GLBA uh, third, and maybe whatever the other one is for any state or local type of requirement. And and it's serial and it's great. But from a project management perspective, if you put your project management hat on, your work stream is serial. They're just never going to align and you're constantly doing the same evaluation over and over and over again. Um, Good for a walkthrough, not necessarily for an implementation. Um, So what other methodical approaches can you employ to help satisfy, as, as my dad used to say, measure twice, cut once? Right. <laughs> well, so part of it, we have to come in here with the assumption that a new CISO is in there for one of two reasons, generally, or maybe three. A new, the company established a CI, an information security practice in which they was operating under, say, IT as bits and parts before. Two, you're replacing another CISO. Or three, uh, and, and, and two is really two parts. One, a person voluntarily left, retired or whatever, or two, they didn't voluntarily leave and you're coming into a problem. Right. Um, all those are different kind of thought processes. Having a hundred day, you know, if, I, if you're coming into a problem and you're a new CISO, you're going to be confronted with some issues <laughs> and you're, and you're going to, your hair is going to get white and you're, you're going to end up um, learning things very quickly and, and probably making some mistakes. Having said that, that is not that can be bad, but it, it might be okay. Your issue is it, there's a lot of industry people to to come to come to, like myself. If you're a new CISO and you want to talk to somebody, I'm willing. I have a bunch of different people who I think are willing as well to get you know, get on the line with you and help you through your first hundred days. Reach out, talk, and collaborate. But two. When you walk into that 100 days, you need to evaluate where the organization is now. And there's something called a gap assessment. 
And in order to do a gap assessment, you need to establish what you're trying to, what standard you're trying to go with, how you, you know, and so you need to go and look at the standards and say, this is the standard at which I want to achieve. An achievement of that standard is not necessarily your end goal, but it is a goal in the midterm of your security plan. So when you look at an organization, you need to come into the organization and say, this is where we're at. This is where I want to go. Now, where we're at is defined as, as this. Here I am in, in relation to the security standard. But in that little crux of the matter is I found out the things I really need to protect in the organization, the crown jewels, right. the things that people can get, uh, that people can get rich off of, you know, if they can exploit it, that people can ruin us if we if they break it or and then um, which which can help us you know, basically create an organization where we can protect those crown jewels in a way that um, that makes it more secure and the organization can remain efficient. That's business process. That's saying, hey, here's where we're at. We can make this process more secure by doing this, this, and this. And it may add some cycles, but let's let's go forth from there. But in the end, without knowing what you're protecting, you can't do a gap assessment on to a standard based upon zero knowledge of what it is. Once you know what it is, then you can do a gap assessment to determine where you're at. But before you can do a gap assessment, you have to just decide what standard you're going to hit to. And, and those three strings together help you derive where you're at, where you need to go. And when you've done that, that security plan is basically how to get to point from where you're at now right, to, the- to, to your goal point. Um, and that will change over time. Things will change. And that's a good and that's a good thing to do an assessment. I think that's that's that would be prudent advice to be able to employ in your first hundred days, right? First thing to do is I gotta know where I'm where I'm heading. I need my compass, yeah. right? Like like a pilot getting into an airplane for the first time turns on the power and he does an attitude check. All right, am I is the plane right side up and does that that little meatball say that it's that this is the sky that's the ground. You know, does is there proper fuel? Is there everything else in there? And you go through your gauges, you go through your checks and if not, you're flipping switches and you're setting things to be able to get you as they call it airworthy. Right. Um, this is no different from a from a CISO's perspective is I need to know what gauges are at my disposal. I need to know that the gauges are reading appropriately. And if something is off to go either flip the switch, turn it on or fill up the tank or do whatever it is that you need to do um, all to be for this company to be airworthy, um, i.e. my reputation is sound. There is no breach capability or, or, or it's minimized that risk um, and making sure that it falls in line with, with, good cyber hygiene and business practices. Fair? Yeah. Yeah. No, I, absolutely. I mean, when you look at this, you're 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 establishing the organization's, you know, go forward strategy. You you you're you're establishing it against when I said, remember I mentioned before executive sponsorship? Executive buy come back buy. to that. Yeah. I was going to come back and save that one for last because okay, I'll no, no, wait on this. No, no, we're here. I mean, we no. were, we're at the executive sponsorship because I think that is something that I wanted to kind of put as an end cap to all of this is don't go it alone. Bring, bring, right. bring, bring the hunting buddies, right? 
<laughs> well, in, the, in in this regard, when you when you're talking about executive sponsorship, you're you're talking about somebody signing off on your security plan, your security program, okay. saying that this is the way we want to operate. This is how we want to make sure our company is protected. So we may establish a, 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 a um, NIST CSF or NIST 800-53 um, mm-hmm. as the standard. Well, here's something. NIST 800-53 has, cha- has on revision five. So a security plan is only good for a period of time. Then it needs to be revisited. Mm. The executive staff who are sponsoring that also need to know that things will change according to threats and 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 vulnerabilities in in the environment. So when you look at look at a plan, a, a, a I should say a standard, you're looking at something that even itself is not static. You're looking at something that's going to change over time. So the important point about it is is establishing your plan, communicating that the standard will change and things need to be reevaluated at okay. least at minimum on an annual basis. And post hence Understanding that that reevaluation is in reflection of the current set of vulnerabilities, exploits, and possible future ones based upon trends. And now you're looking at how I protect the organization, not just today, but um, further than that, down the line, five years down the line, where are organizations going to be? That means it also needs to be intrinsically involved in where the organization's planning to head, or else. That in and of itself causes the causes the um, product to be the, the solution the the plan to be faulty because if you're going to merge with another company and mm-hmm. add the risk of another company and you don't take into account that in the plan, the CISO finds out about it after the ink is signed, then that's a problem. The the, the efficacy of that plan is is in question. Yeah. You now it is. It is now. Now I have. I have taken on. I was there during the Exxon Mobil merger. I, I worked for Mobile Oil. Oh. Yeah, a lot of people in Mobile Oil did not want to. Did not want to merge with Exxon. And and to be frank, it was after the Valdez incident and stuff like that. Um, it happened. There was nobody stopping it. But I remember being there, and after we merged. And seeing the differences in in organization, how they operated, mm-hmm. Exxon was very much enclave based. They they did everything on their own. Mobile had a very centralized, focused structure with a lot of organization. It was a very different organization. Let's face it, Exxon was in control at that point. So, and Mobile was just yet another enclave in that entire thing. But when you start looking like at that one. from a yeah <laughs> a big one yeah, but from a security point of view. Yeah. It's a nightmare because you you now have different things happening in different portions of the organization. This is not this is where you want to have that to get ahead to get ahead. So I guess the end all be all of this is the security plan should be part of the business plan of the organization. It is not a independent thing that operates without without um, being integrated into that business plan because the business plan. It is a sub part of the business plan, basically, in the end, um, because the business plan says in a year and a half, we're going to buy this company and we're going to merge this technology and we're going to bring in these functionality. You know, if you don't have that and, and didn't do the, you know, the, the M&A review of the, of the organization in question, you're bringing in risks to 
to your organization that you don't know. Mm-hmm. That is akin to Target buying HVAC equipment, installing it on their network, not knowing that it had basically you, they gave it full rights to the network and 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 it was externally accessible. So you're not evaluating it. There, and, and I guess the last point I want to make is when you're doing M and A, the M and A people who you're doing the mer- uh, the merger acquisition of are a third party and should be evaluated as a third party partner based on the fact of what you will share with them and how you will do it. And there should be a plan for the integration based upon not only the business integration, but the security implementation and the IT implementation uh, integration piece. And and the winner, and, and I'll give the cheat sheet. The winner should be the more stringent guideline. I <laughs> agree with that. <laughs> totally agree with that. <laughs> it shouldn't, it shouldn't go the other way. Um, you know, and, and just as a, you know, it, just as kind of a, a, a an afterthought to that is, you know, we still see we still see cyber events happening, right? To enclaves. Um, case in point, Microsoft had this um, had a uh, announced that they they had some type of of limited breach. Let's mm-hmm. give them a benefit of the doubt that uh, threat actors were looking at the executive emails, right, about themselves. Well, how did they get in? From what I understand, it's the testing environment that allowed them to escalate in. We can't forget that testing environments, we love to have no passwords on them. We love to be able to have free reign in those little sandboxes. But the problem is there's somebody always walking by looking and saying, can I mess up? Can I mess up the toys in the sandbox? Right. And they'd love nothing better than be able to jump from sandbox to sandbox until it becomes the house. And then they own your house. Yep. So um, to your favorite quote, that actually applies here too. Does it not? Yeah. I mean, it's a problem that, that causes sometimes more headache than it's, than it needs to be. Correct. I mean, you know, when we basically get down to it, I have a friend of mine who's in the retail business, and he says, in the end, what we he works for a big retail that chain, and in the end, what we do is product comes in through that door, we put it on a shelf, right, and people buy it. That's our that's what we do, right. With all this other stuff, measuring and doing this, that's just to do that end thing. So the reality is, the business we're in is just doing that, and. If it doesn't bring value to the organization to to produce a bunch of data that can be analyzed, it, it, then then you're just creating process and procedure where there doesn't need to be some. You know, you're creating something that you know may have no visible or no useful outcome. Right. That is a layer of complication. Complexity in the end is animated security. If I can't tell you there's a firewall in place. To block traffic from coming in from the internet, or and I have some other thing in place which has four million rules, and I can't understand without doing a bunch of traces and stuff like that. I don't understand what's being blocked, what's going on. Then I have, in effect, limited to my security down to what I can understand, and I hope, hope that my security that the rules in question are okay. And I've, as somebody said one time, is hope is not a strategy. Yeah. Uh, so, <laughs> yeah. Well, and, 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 and 
it, hope is not a strategy, but but also if you have that many rules or processes, I mean, processes are necessary. Too many yeah, processes. Absolutely. And if your people can't explain, the people on the front lines can't explain what the process is there to do. Yep. You failed in your job to articulate why it's important to your organization and culture. Agreed. I said it. I'm not apologetic yep. about it because I think this is, you have to make the common denominator understand the common denominator is every person in, in the manufacturing floor, anybody in the, in the retail space. These people have to understand why the process is there, because if they understand the importance, they become your advocate very quickly. Agreed. Agreed. So it's good to have a process, but make sure back to the people process and technology, make sure you have articulated that back to um, to the people. And if you don't know how to do that, we talk about training in that first one. So make sure if you've if podcast listeners, if you haven't seen the first one, go back to the first one and look how important people are to your organization. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. Angelo, far, final thoughts before your, your quote of, uh, the, the quote that is, I think, very effective here. Everything doesn't occur in a vacuum. You need to understand how the business works. And you need to understand how security interfaces with that business. You're, you're never fully secure. I hate terms like zero trust because they become marketing terms. Mm-hmm. Zero trust is a great thing to say. It's not as easy to implement. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying it's impossible. The reality is things change, people change, business process changes, and you may find is something that was quote unquote zero trust certified one day is not. I'm picking on this term only because it's a buzzword. Yeah. Chances are you need to continuously reevaluate your security posture, functions, and, and, and features to keep yourself in line, sort of like sailing a boat. You need to, you need to keep you're you know, you're going at you know 325 degrees for four hours. You need to focus on keeping the rudder steady, or tie it off, and or have autopilot to constantly readjust you back to that thing. And so constantly you take your bearings. <laughs> Taking your bearings, yeah. And then when you get closer to a coast, is that 325 or 324 appropriate, or do you need to readjust based on the fact that there's you know land ahead? You know, and you need, and do you know what that land is and where to go? You need to readjust based upon what's going on. What's that? And where's it supposed to be there? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Am I in the right place? <laughs> right. Um, uh, so back, you want me to hit yeah. my quote? Oh yeah, go ahead. Back, yeah. Back to it for everybody's edification. My, my famously stolen quote, it stole me stolen. I stole it from others. Not I didn't make this up. Uh, complexity is the enemy of security. If you can't explain it, you're probably not secure. That's it. And I hand it to you for your oh, my final thoughts and and quote. Um my final thoughts is is um we're I think getting more and more into multiple frameworks. And um Great. I think there is a there's an options paralysis that sometimes occurs in this industry where we don't know which is the more appropriate one to choose or which groups to choose. Um, listen, uh, you know, Goliath cybersecurity group, we have uh, people like Angelo that are experts in this stuff. 
uh, that can that can sit down with you, talk it through, and and advise. Talking is talking is free. It doesn't cost anything to talk, right? But it's more important to understand where you need to go. If you know where you need to go, the next thing is, like Angelo said, a gap analysis, a testing of some type to say, where am I now? Just like Ramona Road. Do I point south? Do I point north, east, or west? There's a mile marker. Now I know where I'm at. I got to go that way to make sure the mile marker goes down to go one direction, up to go the other direction. Which direction do I want to go? And the framework will tell you how to get there uh, as far as the guidelines or the process and prescriptive. So um, to, to not want to know, to not, uh, to, to be in that, um, I don't want to know. Don't tell me if I don't see it. I don't, I don't, uh, you know, the ostrich. the ostrich or, or the kid that says you can't see me. We can't use that approach in cybersecurity. And so I, my, my best, uh, um, phrase is this, um, the best security device resides between our ears. If we use it, if we don't know, ask costs nothing to ask and it costs everything to do it right. So make sure you use your experts. If you don't have them call on Goliath. We'll be happy to help, but it's important to know where you're going and how to get there. And the process is a nice prescriptive way of helping you do it in a methodical way. Order and method. Not listening to Angelo and Andrew. Listen to Poirot. <laughs> Bazillions of people who read the book can't be wrong, right? So there you go. Um, and with that, we we thank you for your time and uh, wish you well and look forward to uh, sharing with you the third of the series, which is on technology. So don't miss it. And we also have some guests coming up. So subscribe, like, and give us your comments. Love to hear them. Take care. Have a good day.